Now I want to turn our attention to the preaching of God's word. And address something that's very relevant at this time. You know, because I heard that there was an election last week. Anybody else hear about it? Somewhat? Vaguely? Well, I think the whole world has heard about it. And not only has it been the buzz in all forms of media since Tuesday, it's hard to go anywhere in public without hearing people talk about it. Perhaps you yourself have gotten involved in a conversation or two or three or four about our new president-elect at home or at work, at the coffee shop, on the street, wherever you go. And, you know, since it's Sunday, it's, there's only one place left where you probably have not talked about it yet. It's at church. And though this morning, Sunday mornings, I don't typically use our time together to talk about current events, especially politics. But I think what we just saw unfold and what we witness even today in the world around us, I think it dictates or presents a shepherding opportunity. This pulpit is a shepherding tool. It is a tool that allows me to shepherd you with the Word of God. So this morning I want to talk to you about government. I want to talk to you about how we as believers should respond to the historical and deeply controversial presidential election that has our whole world in an uproar. We will no doubt continue to see the protests, the rioting, the violence and the hysteria among the unbelieving world. And so we need to apply what Scripture reveals about government. And let me be frank with you. Some of you need to retrain your mind with how you view government. And so we're going, we're going to go to Romans 13 today. Turn to Romans 13. We need to let the word of God inform our thinking with regard to government. In Romans 13, we find the clearest and most specific New Testament teaching on the Christian's response to government. After having explained in detail what it means to be saved and how to be saved, Paul transitions in chapter 12 to explaining how the miracle of salvation in Christ has a continual direct impact on your everyday life. One key area that your relationship with Christ affects on a daily basis is your relation with human government. In this passage that we're going to study this morning, Paul reveals three responses to government you should have and you should continue to own. These responses will help you process and rightly cope with what is going on around us, not only in our country, but also in other countries around the world. Now, one thing is very important to keep in mind as we traverse this text. It's the background of Romans. 
Paul was writing to a group of believers who were under the rule of merciless tyrants, bloodthirsty, violent rulers. They, they lived under a government system where human slavery was the norm. They lived under a government where the separation of, quote-unquote, church and state wasn't even a dream. Prostitution and idol worship was expected. You were either commanded to bow down to Caesar or die. And also the people were overly taxed. And so Christians were the underprivileged, oppressed minority by far. Protests would have been met with imprisonment. Rioting would have landed you on a cross and hung up naked for all persons to see. So keep that, keep that in mind as we traverse through this text. Romans 13, 1-6. Let's read it. Romans 13, verse 1. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Three responses to government you should have. The first response is this. Respond to your government by acknowledging your responsibility to obey. First response, acknowledge responsibility to obey the government. Verse 1, Paul says, submit. Submit is a Greek word from hupo, tasso. Hupo, under, tasso, to place. So it means to place under or to order under, to rank yourself under in an orderly fashion. This Greek word was used as a military term, used of a soldier's absolute obedience to his superior officer. And you understand this metaphor, don't you? You understand that you are a soldier. Scripture uses that metaphor to describe the Christian life. You are a soldier in Christ's army. Christ is the highest ranking officer, and you are to submit to what he says all the time without question. Just like in the military, generals delegate command authority 
the subordinate officers. And one of the quote-unquote officers that carry divine delegated authority is human government. Christ has delegated his authority to the institution of human government. And so as an enlisted soldier carries out the orders of his captain, who is under the authority of a general, we as Christians carry out the orders of our earthly government. And Scripture makes only one exception to this command. And that's when obedience to civil authority would require disobedience to God's word. That's the only time where you do not line up under human authority. Other than that, we are called to obey the government, period. Now, the implication of this is clear, isn't it? All forms of anarchy is pure evil in the sight of God. The rioting that's going on because of the presidential election is sheer evil. The violence against law enforcement officers is satanic. And we should hate it. Rebellion against the governing authorities is sin. Now, who are the governing authorities in verse 1? Well, Paul intends us to understand that it's every position in the hierarchy of civil authority. Without regard to competency, morality, reasonableness, or any other subjective standard we may place upon them. And this command, it's not just for the Romans. It wasn't just for this people group. Peter said in 1 Peter 2, verse 13 and 14, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to as a king as one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise for those who do right. Paul told Pastor Timothy, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority. So we don't just submit to them. We actually pray for them and thank God for them. Including politicians we don't like. So that we may lead a quiet life in godliness and dignity. Paul told young Pastor Titus to remind his congregation to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. And so for us, our rulers and our authorities... Includes the president, Congress, governors, mayors, and law enforcement officers everywhere. All the time. This is the clear and universal calling for everyone. We're not to rebel or disobey our rulers unless we are forced to sin. This is the only time Scripture gives us freedom to disregard government decrees. In Acts 4, we read a response from Peter to the governing officials that's not very submissive. When he was told to stop preaching the gospel, he said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. In the very next chapter of Acts 5, The apostles are arrested again. And Peter says to the Sanhedrin boldly, we 
must obey God rather than men. So if and when the government tells us to stop preaching the gospel, that's when we say, no can do. So there is a time to disobey the government, but there must be, this is, this is important, there must be a clear moral line crossed. Rebelling because you don't like the personality or the personal conduct of a president-elect is foolish. And it flirts with sin. Rioting because you perceive that a law enforcement officer abused his lawful use of force is not an option for the professing believer. But when men who worship false gods sanction evil... And give hearty approval, Romans 1, to those who practice evil, that's when we say we must obey God rather than men. Other than that, we submit because rebellion against human authority is rebellion against God. As a Christian, we have to respond by acknowledging our responsibility to obey the government. It's very clear. The second way to respond to government is to respond by acknowledging God's sovereignty over government. First, acknowledge your responsibility to obey the government. Second, acknowledge God's sovereignty over government. By sovereignty, we mean that God is in control. He is in charge. He is not divorced at all from what happens. Second half of verse 1 to the end of verse 2. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. What Paul is saying here is that God is completely and supremely sovereign over who is in charge. And this is very important to grasp as as we witness the moral decline in our country. God is sovereign, not just over some things. There's no qualification. But all things, even over the corrupt rulers throughout the course of history. That is a hard truth to accept for some people. But Paul plainly says, there is no human authority that has not been established by God. Fixed Appointed, set in order by God. Every human government has been arranged according to do God's bidding. Daniel 2.21 It is he, God, who changes the times and, and the epics. He removes and establishes kings. Proverbs 21.1 the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. And get this. He turns it wherever he wishes. I remember the first time I read that, it shocked me. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Isn't that amazing? And then when I hear men in their arrogance and in the midst of their anarchy openly mock God and his word, 
You know what I always think of? Psalm 2. When was the last time you read Psalm 2? He says, the psalmist says in Psalm 2, Why are the nations in an uproar? And the peoples devising the vain thing. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. Oh, boy. Then verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king, my holy mountain. So God is in heaven laughing at the rebels protesting against the authorities that he has put in place. I know this is a hard pill for some to swallow, but God wasn't taking a nap when Donald Trump got elected. Paul wrote, there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are set, appointed, put in order by God. So ultimately, we must come to grips with the truth that your Heavenly Father has a secret decreed will. And all we need to do is submit to it. And keep focusing on the main thing. Making disciples. Paul has a word for those who reject this. Paul has a word for those who reject God's choice. In verse 2 he says, Therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. That is to say, if you oppose the rulers that you have when they don't force you to sin... You live as though you outright deny what God has done. You're a practical atheist. And there is a hard consequence for that. Paul goes on to say that they who have opposed will receive condemnation. That's a promise. Paul is saying that there will be condemnation for rebels. Now, what kind of condemnation? Well, the context leads us not to interpret this as judicial condemnation from God. In the context, condemnation refers to some kind of earthly correction or punishment. And a vivid illustration of this principle is found in the words of Jesus himself. When Jesus was arrested in the garden and taken prisoner by a cohort and a mob, what did Peter do? You guys remember that? He took out his sword and he chopped off someone's ear. He was willing to single-handedly take on a, a group of hundreds of Roman soldiers and a temple guard. But Jesus said, put your sword back in place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Now, contrary to some belief, Jesus was not teaching pacifism here. I've actually heard people try to pull this verse and make it about, you know, being a pacifist. But that's not what Jesus was saying. 
he was affirming that if you take up arms against your rulers, they reserve the right to execute you as a, as a, as a, as a form of punishment. So as believers, we have to be mindful of God's supreme sovereignty over government. And if we rebel, we are rebelling against God. And if we do, we will be punished. And though it's right to grieve over the loss of any human life, the killing of violent criminals is biblically justified. And therefore, we should go without saying, but I'll say it anyway, Believers should never respond in violence or encourage or applaud it at all. Furthermore, we must not protest the lawful use of force by governing authorities. We must respond to our government by acknowledging God's sovereignty over the government. The third way that Christians are to respond to government is to acknowledge the proper role of government. Acknowledge the proper role of government. Verses 3 to 5. It says, For rulers are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Now, everybody listen to me. This text must be the foundation that undergirds your entire political framework. God intends for government to first and foremost punish the bad guys and protect the good guys. Listen. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is unnecessary. Federally funded public schools are fine. But nowhere in the Bible does it demand governments supply that service. Government-mandated health care is unnecessary. Social security is unnecessary. Welfare, financial aid for college, public transportation are all completely, 100% unnecessary. But you know what is? A system in place to enforce morality and punish those who break the moral law so that law-abiding citizens can live in peace. Everything else we can do without. All those unnecessary things that I mentioned are not sinful per se. In fact, they can be quite beneficial when used, when used wisely. But human government has not been instituted by God to make life easier. God has instituted government to restrain, deter, and prosecute evil. 
It's one of the many common graces that God has given to mankind. While many, in fact most, do not receive saving grace from God, the whole human race receives common grace in the form of government. Now that I've given you the bottom line up front about the role of government, let's take a closer look at this text. Verse 3. In verse 3, it reveals the reason why criminals are always in hiding or constantly on the run. They're afraid. And they should be. Those who are submissive and compliant are praised. On the contrary, those who do evil should fear. Those who do good are commended. Even the most corrupt government system generally does not harm those who willingly obey their laws. Do they? Paul goes on to say something that is rather interesting and might shake your worldview a little bit. He says something interesting about the core identity of human government. Look what he says in verse 4. For it is a Diakonos of God. Minister. You know the Greek word diakonos from which we get the English word deacon. Government officials are deacons. They're servants. They're ministers. They're table waiters. And it may seem a little strange for us to view elected officials, judge, and cops, and soldiers as ministers... But in America, the word has an ecclesiastical connotation, but it does not have to. In fact, other countries around the world have what they call a prime minister. And the idea behind that is to have his or her title reflect his or her identity as a community servant functioning as an integral component of the governmental system. And regardless of whether or not one accepts that truth, Rulers are designed by God to function as ministers for their subjects. God intends them to serve the people they rule, which has massive implications. Kings, dictators, prime ministers, and presidents are not given delegated authority to govern as they see fit. According to their own likes and dislikes. They are accountable to God for how they rule. They are not to rule for the people's detriment. They're intended to be God's ministers for good. Look at verse 4. For it is a minister of God to you for good. If a government is not doing good for the people, then they are not ruling according to God's design. For example... Many politicians fail miserably in this area by failing to protect the unborn. The Bible is very clear about life beginning at conception. And when the government gives hearty approval to abortion, they fail miserably to do good for the people. That is one area where we as Christians obey God rather than man. And one of the easiest ways for you to be involved 
in protecting the lives of the unborn is to vote for candidates who vow to end the American Holocaust. And not voting for candidates who promise to be accomplices in the murder of babies. If you cast your vote for someone who is quote-unquote pro-choice, you are an accomplice in murder. Because your vote played a part in putting them in a position to sanction the unlawful killing of humans made in the image of God. No Christian should ever vote for a candidate who is for the killing of babies. Period. And the church of Christ has blood on their hands. Because they have ignorantly played a part in electing Democrats who want women to have the freedom to kill their own children. The government is supposed to protect them. And they have failed. And they will answer to God. Hillary Clinton and every politician who was for abortion will stand before God and give an account for how they ruled. Paul repeats himself. And he says that people who murder, committed evil, should be afraid. Why? Why should they be afraid? Well, this might rock your world a little bit. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. Look in your, look in your Bibles, please. I don't want you to think I'm making this up. The sword symbolizes the government's delegated power to inflict punishment on lawbreakers. Namely, capital punishment. Here in this verse, okay, if you've been against the death penalty, you're going to be confronted right now. Here is this, in this verse is clear biblical evidence that the death penalty is perfectly legitimate. Romans 13, 4. If you want justification and defense or capital punishment, Romans 13, 4. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, you cannot take the Bible seriously and be against capital punishment. Since the time of Noah, God has commanded that men who murder deserve to die. Genesis 9, verse 6. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So, the unambiguous truth is that God is the one who instituted capital punishment. And we must recognize that God has given government the authority to determine when capital punishment is due. Paul simply reinforces that truth here in Romans 13. When the state executes an evildoer, it functions as an avenger. An avenger. Don't think of Captain America right now. Think of avenger theologically. God is the avenger. And he doesn't need an iron suit and a cool shield to avenge wrongdoing. He's an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. The word avenger, it literally comes from two Greek words, preposition from and justice. 
from justice, out of justice. He is the one who brings out justice in the midst of evil. Which connotes the idea of making something right. God is a doer of justice. What Paul wants us to understand is an executioner employed by the government, key qualification, serves as an instrument of God for the benefit of society. We must understand that the one doing the avenging is God through a human tool. Very important to understand. Vigilantism is not taught in the Bible. The one that does the killing is the government acting as a tool in the hands of God. Men in their own right has no excuse to take life, but the government does. The government does. That is why a Christian can serve as a soldier in combat and come home with a clean conscience, knowing that he was a minister of God. You know, I get asked the question all the time, especially by kids. Did I ever kill someone when I was in Iraq? And I'm happy to say, no, I didn't have to. Because I was a driver. But I have friends who did. And they can sleep at night. And not have a guilty conscience. Because they're a minister of God. A police officer who responds to an armed robbery and is confronted with a split-second decision to pull the trigger and take a life. Listen, can go home and not lose a wink of sleep because he knows that he has been given full authority to kill as a member of the government. Paul says they do not carry the sword for nothing. So as Bible-believing Christians, we cannot be legitimate, conscientious objectors. God has given the government a license to kill in order to protect law-abiding citizens, and we don't have to feel bad about it. It's surely nothing to celebrate and boast about, but at the same time, we can have a clean conscience. Therefore, Paul goes on to say, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. In other words, we have a deterrent. That deterrent is the sword. But for us, as Christians, we do not obey the government simply because we fear the sword, right? We don't obey the government because we don't want the cops coming to our, our doorstep. We obey the government. We live a quiet and tranquil life. We obey the laws of the land because it's right. One commentator said that we should obey simply not because it's the safest, but because we want to do the right thing. And as God's people, we possess the Holy Spirit, don't we? And so we should instinctively to the conviction that civil disobedience is wrong and offends God and therefore has no place in the Christian's life. 
So for the sake, the Lord's sake, our civil compliance is motivated not merely to live in peace, but our motivation to obey the government is motivated out of a desire to please God. And so in the aftermath of what we see going around us, we're going to go home and turn on the news if you watch the news. People are still protesting. Christians are still wasting time on Facebook arguing about this. Christians are still confused. And even some professing Christians are a little upset. But you don't have to be. You know how to respond. Respond by acknowledging your responsibility to obey the government. Respond by acknowledging God's sovereignty over the government. And respond by acknowledging the proper role of government. And so I exhort you to make the most of the opportunities that are presented to you to instruct others on this biblical view. Because I know there are tons of Christians who have never heard an exposition of this text. And therefore, instead of being informed with the word of God in this area, they're indoctrinated with a worldly view, and dare I even say, a simple Western American view of government. No matter what, if you desire to be faithful to Christ in your own walk, and in your call to make disciples teaching all that Christ has commanded, May you strive to conform your view of government on the basis of Romans 13 and nothing else. And may you respond accordingly to the Lord of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's clear. We don't have to be in panic. We don't have to be depressed and anxious about our current government because we know we just need to obey. We know that we need to accept your sovereign plan. We need to embrace the role that you've given the government to use the sword. If there was any actions or thoughts among us after the election. May we repent. May we seek to honor you as we respond to the sinful government around us. And may we purpose to pray for them. I pray for Donald Trump as he takes the reins. I pray that In your providence, you will surround him with godly men and women to influence him. May he have the boldness to do what he's called to do and protect life and not harm life. May he stand up against the evil people and be a champion for righteousness. Please give him mercy and grace, Lord. We love you so much. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name.